Galatians chapter 3. We'll be focusing this morning on verses 10 through 14, but I'm going to read beginning at verse 6 down through 14. Galatians 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit into all the truth, and that we may love the truth, that we may walk in it. And Father, we do ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would bless us with the understanding of these words. But we ask, Father, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. We would walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Please that you would do this to build up your church and to glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the scriptures we often see what some have called radical dualism. Now I'm not talking about that um, modern idea of yin and yang or the, any of that kind of thing. These are phrases or passages that are spiritual dichotomies. They are mutually exclusive. For example, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, The gate is wide, leading to destruction, but the way is narrow, leading to life. There's not one way and you can decide which exit you want to take. There's a wide gate, but then there is a narrow gate. Or later on, he says, bad trees bear bad fruit, and good trees bear good fruit. A bad tree, he says, cannot bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. There, there's a spiritual dichotomy that he's explaining. And Paul uses that idea all the way through Galatians, even from the beginning of, of verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, not sent through the agency of man, but through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. It is mutually exclusive, one of the other. And in this chapter 3, he has already said in verse 2, and most of these now are coming in, the term, in terms of questions, rhetorical questions. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a spiritual dichotomy. It's one or the other. It cannot be a mixture of both. In chapter 4, he's going to ask us, are you a slave or are you a child and an heir? Are you a child of the slave woman or are you a child of the free woman? Again, a spiritual dichotomy. And later on we will see he asks us, do you carry out the desires of the flesh or do you walk by the Spirit? Mutually exclusive activities. And so Paul is making that, I believe, in our passage before us in verses 10 through 14, where there is kind of a swing verse, nine, verse 9 moving into verse 10. We, we have this positive point that Paul has made about those who are blessed. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, verse 9. In verse 10, but as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. There's the negative. There's the dichotomy. Those who are of faith are those who are blessed with Abraham. Those who are of the law or rely on the law or are related, it could be, to the law are under a curse. There's the curse of the law and its opposite there is the blessing of Abraham. So now he embarks on a series of logical deductions. Some of you in school have taken logic, where you have encountered syllogisms. There are statements that are related to one another, a major premise, a minor premise that relates to the major premise, and then a conclusion, which usually begins with the word, therefore. A deduction is made by reasoning, and the statements can be explicitly given, stated very succinctly, and we can understand. And sometimes they're implied, or what we call by implication, this premise could be stated if we were to write it out. And I believe that Paul uses a mixture of these in verse 10, and then 11, which is linked to verse 12, and leads us into a final syllogism in 13 and 14. The first of these in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. What does this mean? Well, there's, there's an implication, again, of the negative counterpart to what he has just been saying. Of the works of the law, what, what does that mean? I think simply we could say it's doing what the law of Moses required. All of those things that Tim read this morning, the requirements of the Sabbath and the land and the Jubilee, and also the relation to the Levitical priests, all of those things, all of those things, and I do and I know that there are many commentators who would disagree. I believe that we see in Deuteronomy the word all is very prominent. All, I think, means all. All that the law of Moses requires. But it says those who are of these works of the law, these ones who would do this, are under a curse. 
What does that mean? I, again, I think it simply means we would be, they would be under God's judgment for failure to do all that the law requires. Failure to live up to what God would require of his people. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, and the context of Deuteronomy 27 stretches from 27 through chapter 30. Moses is setting before the people, guess what? The dichotomies, the alternatives. He is saying to them, there are blessings for obedience to the law. What many call covenant faithfulness. Faithful to God's covenant. And the opposite, curses for unfaithfulness, curses for forsaking the covenant of Jehovah. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to think, okay, all right, it's just some, some kind of hardship or something that, okay, they will not be as blessed. But let me read to you from Deuteronomy 28. God, speaking to the people through Moses, is, is serious. He says, all of these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you to destroy you. This is not something to kind of be dismissed out of hand. This isn't something where, yeah, okay, I feel bothered by this, but not enough to change. These curses are real. They are things that he would bring upon them. They would be kicked out of the land. They would be sent into exile. They would not have an easy life. They would not be blessed. But what is the theological point? What is he driving at here? Well, I think we understand in relation to the law that continued enjoyment of God's blessings in the land of Israel for the Jews was dependent upon the people's faithfulness, upon their obedience to the law of Moses. Failure to do the law resulted in curse and being kicked out of the land. So what is this syllogism? How would we kind of put this in logical, deductive reasoning form? And again, I don't mean to make this so academic, but I think it was helpful to me to see it this way. What Paul is saying in verse 10, I believe, is this, the major premise, the first point, that Deuteronomy 27 threatens a curse for all who do not keep the law perfectly. But what is implied by Paul is that it is evident that no one keeps the law perfectly. So what's the conclusion? If there's a curse for all who do not keep the law perfectly, and no one can keep the law perfectly, therefore, everyone related to the law, everyone who relies on the law, is under a curse. If the works of the law mean doing what the law requires, then those who rely on the law, those who are doing the law, must keep all of the law perfectly, completely. I think, again, there are those who would disagree, but I think the word all, the word perfect, the word complete is implied here in Paul's statements. But 
What's the problem? No one can keep the law perfectly. Therefore, everyone who relies on the law is under a curse. Well, now we know what the law cannot, or what the law does accomplish. It brings a curse. That's what it does. What does the law not accomplish? What cannot it accomplish? Verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. The law cannot justify any man, woman, or child. It cannot make a person right before God. The context, again, of this verse that he quotes is from Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, I'm not sure how to pronounce it even, in chapter 2, Verse 4, the prophet makes this statement in the context of two things, I think. One, he's condemning the pride of the Babylonians, what's, what are known as the Chaldeans, who had conquered Jerusalem. And he's saying, this is not how the righteous live. But at the same time, he's looking at the people of Israel and getting them to look beyond their depressing circumstances in the immediate time frame. And he's saying, live, live in light of the revelation of Jehovah. Live in light of the promises of God. Live in light of who God is. But he says, for the righteous will live by faith. And it's... it's there are, again, there are those who would say that the word live means that they would have their land, they would have their peace, they would have their occupations and be able to enjoy blessings. And I, I believe that's there, but I don't think for Paul or for the prophet that it, it's that surface. I, I believe there's a, that deepness Normally, faith means that there is a firmness of conviction. There's, there's a steadiness, and, and it's not based on the person. There, there are people who say, well, I have faith in faith. That's bogus. Faith is not what is working. It's God who's working. Your steadiness, your conviction is that God will provide. God will be my rock and my fortress. And so we see this is the basic attitude that the prophet and Paul would have us have. By faith, the righteous shall live by faith. Again, what's the syllogism? What's the logic? Well, Habakkuk says that the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith because it requires performance to meet its commands. Therefore, no one is justified before God by the law. But he goes on in verse 12. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. The righteous will find life through faith. But the law is not a matter of of through faith. Or as one commentator wrote it succinctly, the law has nothing to do with faith. The law is not of faith. 
The law cannot justify. The law is, as he says, on the contrary, the opposite. He who practices them shall live by them. The context, again, it's debated what Leviticus 18.5 says. It's in the beginning of what's called the Holiness Code. Chapters 18 through 20 of Leviticus. Again, there is a promise of blessing for obedience followed by both specific and general exhortations that the people would do these things and live. And there is that question of what does it mean to live? Does it simply mean the blessings and stay in the land? Well, the Jews didn't take it completely that way. They made the extension that it means life, that it means salvation, that it means eternity with God. And he doesn't say that he who practices them shall live one's life in them. That's a common interpretation, even uh, I think by some of our English translations, that they would live in these commandments. That would be the the course of their life. This would be their habit. I believe what he is saying is, he who practices them shall find life by obeying them. Now, if you're with me, you are with Paul, you might be saying, wait a minute, is Paul advocating there are two ways to eternal life? I don't believe that he is. But it's very intriguing, and we won't turn there to read it, but I kind of, like many people, overlook this. Just as Jesus is giving the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's prefaced by an encounter with a young man who comes to him and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is Jesus' response to him? What's written in the law? What is written in the law? And the man answers very well. He sums up the law to Jesus' satisfaction, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus say to him? You've answered wisely. Do this and live. Is Jesus, is Paul, are they advocating there are two ways to salvation? I believe not. I believe that the syllogism here that we have says the major premise, Leviticus 18.5, promises life to those who keep the law. But it is evident that no one keeps the law perfectly. Therefore, no one receives life through the law. I believe that's what Paul has in the background, that Jesus has in the background. What has Jesus said through his conversation to Nicodemus? You must be born again. 
Life is promised through those who keep the law, but no one can keep the law, therefore no one receives life through the law. So then, if there is a curse for everyone who does not keep the law, how then can we be saved? Paul writes in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He quotes from Deuteronomy 21. And the context, the idea here is that when a criminal was put to death, he was hung on a pole. He's hung on a wooden pole for everyone to see after he was executed. This is, this is not the Roman cross that he's having here. He's not looking at what the Romans did and how they crucified. This is a criminal would be put on a pole to be publicly shamed, to be put on public exhibit as one who had been cursed by God. He was called the tree of shame. And we were to be on that pole. But Paul declares to us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? He says, having become a curse for us. That wonderful, stupendous, totally undeserved, but not unexpected gift. Notice the words in verse 14. In order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Things that come to us, things that we receive are gifts. Things that are given to us, again, totally undeserved, totally without merit, given to us by God. But it's not unexpected. We should have been looking for it. Why? Because he says, you, you receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's been promised by God. Who are you trusting? Yourself? <laughs> or the one who makes the promise? God fulfilling his gracious purposes for his people. How did Christ redeem us? Christ bought us out of bondage. That's what redeemed means. It means to pay a price. And yes, there were those slaves in that time who would be able to somehow scrimp and save and be able to buy their own redemption. But the wording here, at least that I can understand, is used is that Christ bought us out of bondage when we had no way, shape, or form of buying our own way. He bought us out of that bondage of curse by becoming a curse for us. What, was it, what does it mean to be under a curse in verse 10? To be under the judgment of God. Christ took all of God's judgment upon himself. He was our substitute. He stood where we should have stood. 
He suffered what pain and agony we should have suffered. He was the one in Psalm 22 who said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And he died the death we should have died. And he hung on that pole, taking the tree of shame, taking the curse upon him that should have been upon us. So what is the final syllogism that Paul would have us understand? God's law pronounces a curse upon everyone who fails to keep it. If we are to be saved, the curse must be removed. This is what Christ has done. This is what Christ did in redeeming us from the curse of the law. Cursed is everyone who does not keep the law. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But why did he do it? Why did he go to the cross? In order that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, not the curse of the law, but the blessing of Abraham might be to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in these things, that you have done this great thing through Christ Jesus our Lord, that he redeemed us, that he bought us, he paid for our lives by becoming a curse for us, that we might be to you glory and honor and blessing, that you would cause us to receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Father, thank you for these things. Thank you that this was your plan. Thank you that this is your gospel. In Christ's name we pray.